draw a parallel to this with the love and light vibrations only, which is <gasps> often predominant. Hashtag think positive. Yeah. <laughs> You'll manifest negative things in your life. Exactly. So we're almost seeing this, this idea of... Welcome to The Boundless Self, a podcast that is here to explore all of the ways in which we limit ourselves. Together, we will explore the deep, messy, exciting, and often uncomfortable topics to identify and heal everything that keeps you from believing in your boundless potential. I'm your host, Kathleen McBride, and becoming boundless changed everything for me. Now I run a life and a business embracing my own fears and helping people all around the world to believe in themselves. Tune into each episode and join me on your journey of becoming your most boundless self. Hello, my friends. Welcome back, boundless selfers, to another episode of The Boundless Self. Thank you again for being here. This really is not possible without you listening here at home and the podcast is getting so many amazing opportunities right now so many amazing guests reaching out to be on the podcast which I never dreamt was even possible so I have to thank you so much for helping me make this podcast what it is and I'm incredibly excited to bring on this next amazing guest who I reached out to because I connected so much with their social media profile. Um, we are today welcoming on the amazing Kyra. Now, Kyra is a somatic practitioner, a dance artist, and a nature mystic. She is someone who works deeply with the nervous system, with the body, and particularly in somatic attachment therapy, doing a lot of work with dance, somatic experiencing, and parts work as well, which is what I specialize in. She is the founder of Embodied Woman. So she helps people, women specifically, to resolve their trauma in a gentle one-on-one -on -one capacity and also in group programs. She is super amazing. And she's an incredible laugh as well. She's really, really fun to be around. And this conversation is incredibly fun because we're doing another episode of Myth Busting, which I know you all loved the last week's episode with Emma on manifestation myth busting. So this time we are doing nervous system myth busting. And I can't think of anyone better to go through this other than with Kyra. Now, in this episode, we break down all of the myths about the nervous system, especially the ones that we've seen on social media, things like shaking it out, trauma release, all these sorts of different things that maybe you've got some questions around in your own healing journey. If you've been working more and more with your nervous system, maybe you've seen it be demonized a little bit. Maybe you don't understand it. Kyra gives us a full breakdown of how we can understand our natural nervous system's reactions better and what myths we need to let go of when it comes to healing, feeling your feelings, releasing trauma, and basically creating the life that you really want for yourself. Cannot wait to dive into this episode. Before we briefly dive in, I just have to share with you, I am for the first time ever um, hosting and launching a Black Friday sale, which I'm actually really excited about. And I've never done one before. It Usually Black Friday is not that big a deal in this side of the world, but I'm seeing it come about more and more, and I'm just excited. I'm excited to share it with you. So for the Black Friday sale, I'm going to be launching it to an email subscriber list, which you can join via the link in the show notes, um, or you'll see it on my social media as well. Um, I'm going to share this early with people on that list. And I'm going to be releasing there the workshops, the workshop bundle, including the inner child workshop, including the self-sabotage workshop and one other special one. And I'm also going to be doing for the first time ever some one-on-one -on -one sessions, just one-off one-on-one sessions, which I'm really excited about because I've actually had a few people reach out saying that they don't want to book in for a full program, but they're looking at booking some one-off sessions because they're just needing help to move through something specifically. This is so important to reach out for help when you don't know or can't get to it yourself. There are so many feelings and so many things within ourselves that we want to avoid because it doesn't feel safe to process them alone. Particularly in these one-off sessions, what we'll be focusing on is doing an inner child healing, going into your inner child and looking at the places and spaces in your past that are keeping you stuck. These sessions are really fun and they're going to be a great way for you to kind of propel yourself forward, particularly as we end 2023 and go into 2024. So join the waitlist for the Black Friday special. I will put it in the show notes with a link so you can sign up. Your email will go in there. 
and I'm going to be sharing this on Thursday. This episode's coming out on Monday, so you've got a couple of days to join that list, um, and then I'll be releasing, re- releasing, <laughs> then I'll be releasing it um, when Black Friday officially begins, which is on the Friday, the 25th. Um, so cannot wait, very, very excited, and this podcast episode with Kyra, it's beautifully lighthearted in a lot of ways. We talk about a lot of the fun social media things that um, have been promoted about the nervous system and we also go particularly into the freeze response and this is not a trigger warning because I don't love trigger warnings I feel like they trigger us more than anything at all it's just a so you know what we're chatting about and you can make a decision about whether this is going to be helpful for you or not Um, towards the end of the episode as we're talking about the freeze response I also share my story with the freeze response which is where your body essentially plays dead you can't move Um, Um, in a traumatic situation. I share my story with the freeze response in relation to the sexual assault that I went through in my late teens. And yeah, it's, it's emotional and vulnerable, but it's also really important because we discuss the shame that happens around that freeze response, particularly in relation to sexual assault and things like this and of this space. Kyra is so great because she gives us a deeper understanding of what's happening in the body and she walks us through how to heal, how to heal if you're stuck or dysregulated or stuck in a particular fight or flight response, as well as breaking down some things and some practices and some tools that you can actually start implementing right away. So without me laboring on any longer, because you know I love to chat with you guys because I love you so much, um, let's dive into the episode. And as always, please hit that subscribe button. This really helps the podcast to be seen, to grow more, to jump onto the charts, and for it to grow and expand even more than it already is, which I feel so grateful for. Share it with your friends, with your family, with anyone who you think is going to love this episode, anyone who's on a healing journey, a journey of self-development, or just wanting to understand their bodies and their nervous system more. Let's welcome in Kyra. Welcome back my friends to another episode of The Boundless Self and today we get to welcome in the amazing Kyra who is going to help us bust some myths when it comes to the nervous system. Now we know how important the nervous system is on your healing journey, on your even on your self-development and your growth journey, even just learning to expand from your comfort zone to achieve the dreams that you have. Your nervous system is a very important part of that. And Kyra, I know that it's become a very hot topic that's talked about online. And I know you've got a lot to say. As a bit of a nervous system expert, I know you do a lot of somatic experiencing. Let's bust some myths about the nervous system. So what is the first myth that you want to, that you need to get off your chest, Kyra? (laughs) I love this. (laughs) Yeah, the first myth that I feel is important to bust is this idea that fight, flight, and freeze are bad or evil or something that we want to get rid of. So there's this idea that we need to be calm and grounded and just peaceful all of the time. And I kind of draw a parallel to this with the love and light vibrations only which is <gasps> often predominant Hashtag think positive yeah you'll <laughs> yeah. manifest negative things in your life <laughs> exactly so we're almost seeing this this idea of, of almost really toxic positivity has kind of made its way into the nervous system world which is a completely different ball game right so you're saying that we don't always need to be grounded and regulated all the time. Being in fight, flight, freeze isn't a bad thing. It's actually pretty good and pretty normal. And I guess it's probably an indicator of a healthy nervous system that you can move through them. Would I be right in saying that? Yes, yes, exactly. And we want to have a resilient nervous system. So one that is receptive and able to go into a fight response, into a flight response, into freeze, and then come out of it by deactivation and downregulation. So then we're authentically resting back into regulation. And if you think about it in terms of like wild animals, they have their fight, their flight, their freeze all perfectly intact so that they are better able to survive. If they didn't have those and they were just peaceful all the time, we wouldn't have a thriving animal kingdom. So it's actually really important for our survival and we develop in this way for a reason. That's so true. So, because we know that the nervous system is part of our innermost survival instincts and that it helps us a lot. 
However, I imagine the issue being, and where maybe this kind of myth has come from, is the fact that people often get stuck in one of those responses. Like I know I was stuck in a flight response for a really long time and it was detrimental to my body. So of course, in my head, the easiest way to, you know, hashtag heal myself was to think about, okay, let me just never go into fight, flight, freeze ever again. Let me just be calm, grounded, regulated, connected to Mother Earth, positive vibes only. Let me be that all the time. And for me on my healing journey, that was a massive part of the start of it. I very much fell into the idea that I needed to be calm and grounded all the time. I was meditating to to keep calm. I was meditating to make sure that I was thinking these the right thoughts that would keep me in this space. And I was doing a lot of self-soothing, which is important, but it also gave me a real fear of actually leaving my comfort zone ever again. You know, and I think that what I'm hearing from you, Kyra, is that it's actually really important for us to go through these processes. What are the advantages? Like, why are these so important for us to go into fight, flight, freeze? Yeah, I love it. Well, if you think about, and the first one that comes to mind for me is is fight and why fight is really important. So first of all, the energy behind fight and flight is I can. So it's that I can energy, I can fight back, I can get away. So it's this empowered life force energy of saying, no, I don't want this, I'm going to fight back. No, I don't want this, I'm going to get away. And so with fight specifically, if something threatening, dangerous is coming towards us and is, yeah, threatening our felt sense of safety, we want to be able to have those responses because it means we're protecting ourselves. And so that doesn't necessarily manifest as like, I'm going to punch someone or <laughs> something like this. It can just be like, sometimes <laughs> it can just be like, no, like, no, I don't like this conversation. No, I don't like that tone of voice or. Yes, exactly. Like right. in boundary setting and relationships, like I think when I became much more aware of my, I think what it really helped was becoming aware of my nervous system and understanding what it felt like to be in each of these states. And it was an indicator for me, particularly in relationships, it was an indicator for me whenever I was in that fight or in that flight, it was such a message from my body to say, I'm not okay with something here. Something, some boundary has been crossed. Something's not sitting right with me. I might need to figure this out. And Kara, we were talking before you hit record, but we were talking about when you're in fight, flight, and freeze, there's an area in your brain that switches off that doesn't often allow you to access that more cognitive thinking. So talk us through this example, because we love examples. You wouldn't want, and I mean, I've done this plenty of times in my relationships, but you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to sit down and bust it out and have a conversation when you're in that state of fight or flight right? You would want to wait until you've come out of that response and your all areas of your brain are switched back on, especially your communicating parts of your brain, so that you can have a proper conversation about it and understand what happened for you. Can you tell us about that process of what happens and how we can help navigate ourselves through, you know, being in fight or flight in a in that kind of scenario of a relationship and realizing mm, something's not sitting right with me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And and in this context too of relationships, sometimes we can even, if we're attuned to our bodies and what's happening, we can even have a moment that's like, hey, I'm noticing I'm starting to feel a shift in my body. And can we actually just have a hug or can we do something co-regulating together before we continue? If that's if that's available. But what happens when when we're in a human to human dynamic and we maybe feel activated or something reminds us of our previous experience that I would use the word triggered because I feel like that's the yeah. word. I feel like that was the word I used for a really long time to describe when I was in fight or flight. Really and I just say, Oh, I'm so triggered right now, you know? So yes, it's a great word to use for everyone who for, for anyone who doesn't know as much about the nervous system. So in that dynamic, when you get triggered, then what happens? Yeah, yeah. And I I usually reframe to activated just because it has like a, a negative connotation for me. Uh, but yeah, 
and activated either words, but I'm going to use activated because it, it really relates to the nervous system in that there is an activation of the sympathetic. So when we're in that resting state, that regulation, social engagement, I can see you orient. I'm in the parasympathetic. When I start to get triggered, activated, my sympathetic is going up. So I'm, there's an arousal in my system, which means parts of my brain are turning off. My digestion is turning off. Libido is going down. Immune system response is going down. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer orienting. So I'm like, we know that. And you explain that to us, orienting. When you mean, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Orient, the best example I can give of orienting is a deer. So when you see, if a deer hasn't seen you yet, and they're just in a meadow, they're looking around, they're eating, they're scanning the space with their eyes, they're moving. This is orienting. So it's that that receptivity with the environment around you. You're able to take it in. Your body's flexible, malleable. When activation happens, you orient towards the danger. And then it's literally like you have hyper focus, isn't it? I mean, yes. my God, the greatest example I can give, I've moved to Australia recently and there are snakes here and I've seen a fair few snakes in my path. And now I've developed what I think I would call um, like snake senses. And I'll be going on my walk and I'll notice if I'm super jumpy. And I can actually just thinking back to that, my eyesight, I'm not like normally on a walk, I'm looking around, I'm calm, I'm happy. But when I get that little feeling, which I think is my body saying, there's a snake around, you need to look out for this. There is a threat. I feel totally that I'm not orienting to use that word. I am like very hyper-focused. I'm looking at every single bloody twig on the ground, trying to figure out where the snake is, you know? Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. When we go into fight or flight, it's essentially what's happening is all, we're almost like hyper-focusing on danger. So it's like our body has said, there's a threat somewhere to your safety, to your survival, which is what the nervous system is designed for. And all other areas, your digestion, your libido, all of that goes out the window and your body is going, we need to get through this dangerous time. So I'm going to focus and look for the danger. So in that scenario of the relationship, maybe having a slight argument, getting triggered, getting activated. So you're going to start to hyper-focus and, and stop orienting around you. You're focused on what's what's going wrong, essentially. Is that right? Yep. Yep. You're going to focus on what's going wrong there's going to be an increase of your heart rate there's going to be some kind of usually like muscle tension even bracing in the body mm. and there might be those emotions like with fight anger frustration defensiveness with flight there might be a lot of worry concern or fear and if we're not allowing time and space for some down regulation then we can actually just keep riding a wave of arousal that's going to contribute to more reactivity and emotionality that's maybe not as useful for conflict resolution. Exactly. Because like you said, your cognitive brain, the the part of your brain that thinks, that's rational, that can understand, that can piece things together, it's literally switched off, isn't it? And you, mm-hmm. I think a lot of what, and, and you, you hit on this point before about how when you're triggered or activated, Sometimes it can remind you of something in the past. And so I do a lot of inner child work. And a lot of this is about, you know, if we look at the scenario of, you know, being in relationship, having conversation with someone about something that's come up, often we can be reminded of things that have happened in our past, be it with a past relationship dynamic. Maybe, you know, they're starting to be narcissistic and you've had a history of that. Or maybe you had a narcissistic parent and something like that is going on and you're reminded of that. And what happens is you essentially revert back to being that age. And that's what we see exactly the cognitive part of your brain, your cognitive thinking, your problem solving abilities, your rationality, that's all gone. That is not, that's not online, you know, and that can lead to us. I know I have had plenty of terrible conversations with past partners because I've been so activated and I haven't understood that when I'm like this, when this is happening in my body, which is not a bad thing. There's just something that's triggering me or upsetting me. And it could be to do with what's happening right now, or it could literally be a reminder from the past that in that moment, sometimes I fall into this idea of thinking, I have to work through this right now. I must solve the problem. 
And as you can imagine, Kyra, the problem does not get solved because I'm not (laughs) rationally, right? Yeah. And often what happens, and I can speak from experience, is if we keep riding that wave of, I have to resolve this now and, and push through even regardless of what my body is telling me, we can actually go so far into arousal that we go into the dorsal vagal where we're actually in a freeze. And that's mm-hmm. where we can see things like shut down. Or if you're familiar with Gottman, um, one of the four horsemen's is, oh, wow, I forget the name of it right now. <laughs> it's shutting down and like totally removing oneself, being quiet, mm-hmm. not like isolating. Yeah not making eye contact, the name of it will come to me later. But really what that is, is that's a freeze response. We've gone too far into the sympathetic activation that we can no longer respond. We can go into a shutdown. We can go into a functioning freeze. That's the state of dissociation where we're completely out of our body. We're like not even making eye contact. And if we think of that in terms of an animal response, that's when we're leaving our body so that we're safe when we get chomped or when... Playing, it's playing dead, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. playing dead. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And I actually read something somewhere that the freeze response is one of the hardest responses because your body has essentially... like. Um, I was always described to me that you have threat detectors within your nervous system. And I always imagine them as little army men, you know, with their binoculars looking out into the world and looking for threats and they categorize it. They go, okay, you know, let's say if we look at the example of a tiger, right? So Mm -hmm. we said, okay, if the tiger is, you know, 500 meters away, there's a pretty damn good chance that we could escape, right? So you get put into flight, your body starts and gives you that energy to run, right? Say the tiger is 100 meters away and you've got a sword next to you, you know, your threat tigers will go, oh my God, we can fight this tiger and we might survive. So you go into fight. But say the tiger is, you know, 50 meters away, maybe even closer than that, your threat detectors look at it and they go, there is no chance that we're going to survive this. So... You get put into freeze where you completely disassociate, you shut down, you play dead. And I know that that's in an attempt to relieve pain because you don't feel as much in that experience. So it's actually, it's quite amazing that that body has that kind of last ditch defense to say, okay, we are going to die, but let's try and make the pain as, as least as possible. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. And it's so intelligent, especially when in context of, big T trauma mm-hmm. for people who have experienced assault or domestic violence or anything like this. Yeah, rape, that's huge. Yeah. 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 To be able to be in that freeze response for some is the only way that they survived. Mm-hmm. And so with a lot of the work that we do in somatic experiencing, it's it's really befriending those parts because in many ways they kept the person alive and they kept them safe internally and Mm -hmm. with the freeze response really we can come out of it we can Mm -hmm. come out of the freeze and access some of the sympathetic charge of fight or flight to then experience a deactivation and the natural sting this is what i want to talk about right so Mm -hmm. that process of actually down regulating so if we go back to the relationship example like we're talking about like how we would get, like what is the best thing to do in that example when we're in that state of fight or flight, you've spoken about how it might be important to reach out and say, hey, can I have a hug? Can we do something to co-regulate together? Or can I take some space? And this is even where almost your attachment style could kind of come into play, right? Because it gets really triggered. Like I know for me, I flip between that anxious and that avoidant depending on what's going on. Sometimes I will be stuck in that in the anxious part where I'm saying I have to solve the problem right now you can't leave me we have to fix this if you leave it feels like I'm going to die and that we're going to break up and it's over or sometimes I'll lean into the flight and I'll avoid and I'll be I gotta take I gotta get out of here I gotta get out of here you know and it's interesting to see both of those parts coming to life in that scenario what are you doing to help yourself be able to get through and resolve that conflict? What What are the steps that somebody needs to take when they're not in that flight, fight or flight? When they're being, when they're triggered as fuck, let's, let's use those words. <laughs> when they're triggered as fuck, what do you do? 
I love it. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to my mind is titrating the arousal and the activation in the system, the, the sympathetic. So if we're feeling like a lot of charge, let's say a lot of anger or fear or worry, it would be important to take that time and space to create some regulation in the system. So maybe that's, for me, that's like, okay, I need, I need a couple minutes just by myself. And sometimes that's actually for me, embodying the flight where I will go into my room, I will cover myself in blankets and I will just hide. And then I will come back and, and be able to share and express. So sometimes down regulation is actually going to happen when we allow ourselves to embody and experience what our system wants. And so we that could be the go. Yes, we have to go through the process to let it happen. And it's one of those things where, again, sometimes we'll, we'll I remember falling into this trap of thinking, okay, I have to, again, the I have to think positively. I have to calm myself down. I have to stay. So I'll be sitting there in my anxious state, taking all these big, deep breaths and trying to meditate. And I'm like, how the hell am I meant to meditate when I'm so anxious or when I feel like I could run you know, a uh, half marathon right now because I'm so in that flight response. How am I meant to meditate in that experience? And I love what you said there. And I actually had one of my cl past clients reach out and say to me, they felt themselves going into that kind of freeze, like really scared response. They felt their body starting to contract and they held themselves and they let it happen and it allowed them to move through it so much faster. So you're mm -hmm. saying... When we feel we're triggered, we actually want to listen to what our body wants to do. And whether that is run, run away, take space, hide under the blankets. Maybe it is. So if we look at that, that's, that's quite a simple one to go take space. And once you allow yourself to go through that process, we naturally start to see some of that down regulation happen. The, the calmness happens eventually, you know. What about when you're in that super anxious state? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's do super anxious and then super angry. Yeah. With the super anxious, if we notice that there's like fluttering of the body, there's increase of heart rate, there's the feeling like, wow, there's so much overwhelm. Then I see a couple routes. There could be some top-down regulation. And so top-down regulation would be like swaying the body. Mm -hmm. Top-down regulation tool. It could be orienting with the eyes, looking around the room, noticing what we see, holding the body, squeezing the body. So these are top-down tools that are going to communicate to the body and the brain, it's okay to be here. Mm -hmm. That's one route that could help in the moment to get contact with some more regulation. And then the other route that brings in a bit of parts work would be, what is this anxious part wanting and needing in this moment? Mm. And being... What's happening that this part doesn't want to happen? And can it be corrected? Can there be an intervention? Mm -hmm. And is that maybe like, maybe the other person's not looking us in the eyes and that's feeling really uncomfortable or mm. we're not contributing to security. And so that could be a moment of like, I'm really feeling anxious and I notice there's a part of me that just wants to make eye contact for one moment. So I know we're both here mm. and, and orienting towards security. And, you know, I'm going to give such a great personal example to tie this in. So because what I'm hearing you say is you're asking the question, what are you afraid of and what do you need in that moment? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know for me in past relationships, when I've been in that anxious state where I've been like, we have to solve this problem right now or I can't go to sleep. I can't go to bed. Don't go to bed angry or upset. You know, all those sorts of rules that we hear so often when it comes to relationships and something that I used to really notice was I would be craving sexual connection. And because of the fact that it, one, it, it calmed me down, but two, it made me feel connected to that person, right? And I heard you say that with the eye contact, right? So you said, oh, I feel like we might need to actually make eye contact for a while. And for me, that kind of showed up, showed up as I want to feel connected to my partner by having sex. And that way I feel secure again in our relationship because I'm not feeling secure right now. And so if we loop back, because we've got to acknowledge that when you're in that anxious state, when you're in that fight, flight, freeze, 
your brain's probably going to struggle to think like this, isn't it? You're, you know, you're not going <laughs> to access the, oh, what's going on? What do you need? What are you afraid of? I wish we could, but you might struggle. I struggle to access that. So I heard first that you said some top-down regulation approaches were to do some things like the orienting with your eyes. So looking around the room, squeezing different parts of your body, giving yourself a hug. You know, there's even the, you know, the butterfly taps. There's all different yeah. things that you can do. What's your favorite one when you're super anxious? What do you go to? Yeah. So with with anxiety, I feel like having, and I'm going to show you, having any kind of like tool or prop outside of our physical system can be really supportive in terms of creating some sensory stimulus that's not about the anxiety. So that could be pulling a pillow against our body and just feeling the edges of our skin and how much we really want to squeeze in towards us. That could be taking a ball, squeezing the ball, feeling the impact of sensation and releasing it. Or that could be finding something that feels really soothing and soft or just like luxurious. That brings our mind to basically orient towards something other than the anxiety. And this is what we do with pendulation, which mm -hmm. is a big part of trauma resolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, so that's that titration method, isn't it, where you put some focus on it and then you take it away. Put some focus on the feeling, take it away to create that safety for you. Okay, cool. So I heard there it was, I even saw you doing it with your hands. So if you don't have a pillow or something which you can kind of hug and then release, you could even do it with your hands, clench into fists. It's almost like, and that's where I think it's so right, you said you're going through the motion, aren't you? You're letting the anxiety do what it wants and go, you know, and then you're going, okay, now release, we're safe. And you could do that a couple of times, right? To to just let your body go through that process and, as you said, complete the cycle and help us down-regulate. And I think once you're in that space, then it's the appropriate time to go and have that conversation, to do the conflict resolution, to practice your great communication. You know, that's your time. Now let's flip to the other side of what if you're super angry? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is good. This is me and my partner. So it's not it. And it's so funny how we we swing, like we we generally have a favorite, right? Like for me, mine's anxiety. Absolutely. I, I'm anxious. I worry. For you, you said it's always anger, right? So isn't it yeah. interesting? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, similar actually to the top-down tools with anxiety, like I have found, and I did a video about this recently, that if we take a towel or a scarf and we twist it and mobilize, oh, like it, bring it out. Yeah, yeah I love that. That can be a top-down regulation tool. With anger, I find that when we when we give it, again, some space and we can allow ourselves to catch it before the reactive moment. So when we start to feel, for me, it's like a bit of sweating in my armpits. It's my jaw starting to clench. I'm not wanting to make eye contact as much. That's my cue to go out of the room to say like, hey, I need five minutes again and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a moment. And what we want to do there is is mobilize it in some way, whether that's the clenching of the fists or it's going for a walk where we can power it up for two minutes. Mm. And then we want to give ourselves the, the rest, the down regulation. So that could be clenching. We keep saying the word mobilize. Mm -hmm. What does that word mean? Mm. Yeah, great question. Mobilize is taking the energy that's on the inside of our our body that felt sense of like oh everything is clenching or racing and putting it somewhere moving it ah yeah so, it. so like you said going for a walk or you know noticing the clenching of the teeth doing the you know the ringing of the towel the clenching of the hands or like you said using the pillow as well you said you know putting it into so it's letting that sensation happen but at happening something actually happening rather than I don't know if you've ever felt seething rage on the inside mm. and you feel it like it feels like a ball of fire just freaking burning within you you know and it's yeah. like you literally feel like you could spit flames and yes. again like that that's probably the hardest and most dangerous place to be in is when you're holding everything in isn't it and you're, yeah. you're starting to like contract and get really tight and small so I'm hearing from you that when you're in that anger response, so which is more of that fight response, 
in this you know scenario of relationship or it could be anywhere it's actually important for you to probably take five to go on your own somewhere maybe go for a little walk I love my angry stomps they're my favorite thing I stomp it out um, but do something to help you mobilize and move that energy out of the body and then you said it's it's followed up by a period of rest and coming back to that sense of calm yes and this is the piece that gets skipped so much that actually is problematic in that there's this belief out there that it's the stomping that's going to create the the resolution but in truth what's going to create the resolution is the rest mm-hmm. and the ability to let the system know that it can deactivate that it can down regulate mm-hmm. when we're having the experience of clenching it is far more important to actually slowly be with the unfolding and the witnessing of the deactivation after that's where the true integration happens that's amazing and that's the key isn't it i remember learning anger release and for the longest time anger release made me feel really unsafe and i couldn't understand why And then I started to practice it differently. I started bringing my inner child into the anger release. And of course, at the end of an anger release, my inner child needed me to like hold myself and rock on the ground. And I would cry. I would cry these tears after like, you know, screaming and hitting my pillow, whatever kind of rage release I was doing at that time, I found myself naturally being like, oh my God, that was really scary. Like that was a lot. I need to calm myself. And the way that I love to describe it to my clients is thinking about if you had a child in front of you who was throwing a temper tantrum, right? You see them go through that. You see them go through the rage, the anger, the confusion, And then you see them usually melt into a puddle on the ground and cry, or they fall asleep, or they get really tired, or they want to cling on to you, they want to cling on to your leg, and that's because they're craving that co-regulation, which is that that calm, that sense of calm. So you're saying that the healing doesn't happen in the anger release. The healing happens when you go through the anger release and you come back to that sense of calm. I'm safe and I'm okay. And I guess that's sending the message to your brain that I'm allowed to be angry. I'm allowed to go through these high experiences of emotion, but I'm always going to come back down. And this is like, this is why I love that titration method, you know, to teach to clients is because you're showing your brain Yes, I can go up, but I can also come back down because a lot a lot of the cl- fears that my clients come with might be very similar to you is I'm afraid that when I crack open the door of my emotions, I'll, I can't get it to stop. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that makes sense because a lot of the work out there in the world is based in cathartic release and, and pushing the envelope on on the healing work and and what happens with a lot of that is we go so far into the emotion or the activation that we either shut down and go into mm-hmm. freeze so that's that or, also vagal that you were speaking about yeah yeah exactly or we go so far up into the arousal and activation that it becomes a re-traumatization for the nervous system and the body and that's why we want to do and i and i'm really quite specific with how how long we stay mobilizing something. I'll often know how long we stay in the anger or in the anxiety or in the clinch. Okay, yeah. Exactly, yeah. How long we'll stay with with that mobilizing of energy because we want to teach the system that it can come back to regulation. Mm -hmm. Though it's maybe only two minutes of that intense power walk Mm -hmm. and then it's six minutes of a really chill-oriented walk or it's one minute of clenching your teeth and clenching your hands and then it's three minutes noticing what's breathing I love 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 this and it's that it's it's literally like if you compare it to a workout right like you warm up you go for your run and then you have to cool down and usually like even if you look at strength training for example the muscles tear and rein it back together to build more muscle, but that happens in recovery. And so your recovery yeah. is super important, right? So mm-hmm. there we go. That is the number one thing for fight, flight, freeze, for your nervous system, for feeling your emotions. It is to make sure that you are spending 
probably two to three times the amount of time in that calming down state, in that comforting and that soothing and allowing yourself to orient and come back to safety so that your body learns we're not going to just, you know, go up and never come back down. It's so that it learns that we can ride these waves of our emotions, which happen in life, right? Like it's literally part of life. That is so beautiful. Thank you for laying that out for us. Now, you said something amazing here, which I want to dive right back into because that was going to be our next myth was around, you know, releasing trauma and, you know, shaking it out. And we see this a lot on social media right now, which one, I kind of love because that was not shown a lot before. But again, I, I hear that sometimes it's missing that calm down regulation piece at the end, the six minutes of soothing or the slow walking to calm yourself down again, which is where the healing often happens. And you also mentioned the word re-traumatization, which is huge. And particularly, I've seen it in some events, like scary retreat style events using breath work or emotional release, where people are shaking, people are going into all sorts of, you know, intense bodily responses. They go to this retreat for one, two, three days, doing this every day, and then they leave and they have no support. And for me, being trauma-informed, that is something that I look at and I'm terrified of. Even breathwork, for example, can be so triggering for people without having that safety and that support to allow that calming state to happen. Is that where we see the re-traumatization occur? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I can speak from an experience that I had probably six months ago where we were in a movement quote-unquote somatic class and the instruction was to like just keep going keep moving keep like screaming unpacking the the emotions keep a lot of the moving was yeah punching the air and shaking the body and and what happens is basically the system just gets overloaded with not only the physical movement and the stimulation that we're creating but we're communicating so much to the body through that shaking and the punching and the emotional purging or releasing that if we don't have those touch points to orient, to come back to that receptive state, social engagement, the parasympathetic, then we are creating another neural pathway that it's not safe to be here. My body's not safe. I'm not safe. And we're going into a survival mode so we're just adding a whole nother layer to the original trauma mm-hmm. and making it 10 times worse because now you have two three four layers to go through when you start doing a trauma release in a safer way yeah yeah exactly and what we often see with these like really intensive cathartic practices is that people will become so activated that they'll go into the dorsal vagal they'll go into a shutdown which they can perceive as a spiritual state they're like oh my god they're actually dissociating oh that's fantastic right and and that state of freeze it's something i ended up doing a lot of research around because it scared me so much and and i'll share vulnerably here just for anyone who's listening i'm just going to briefly share about my story with sexual assault and the freeze response so please look after yourself when you're listening to this um for the next kind of five minutes um or skip through if you need to so When I was 19, I was sexually assaulted by a friend of mine in a room full of people. I was, um, we were meant to be asleep. They reached over, they, they did things to my body, they, without my permission, and I froze. I literally pretended to be asleep and all I remember happened, it's like I couldn't move my body and all I remember in my own head was the thoughts just kept saying, they'll stop. He will stop soon. Just keep being asleep. They're going to stop. Just to stay still. Don't breathe. It'll, it'll be over soon. And I told nobody for years, for years. And I didn't even understand what had happened, especially that this person was a close personal friend of mine. It was awful. And I told nobody because I felt so ashamed that I was this, you know, strong, empowered woman and I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I was in a room full of people who were all, we were all in this big room, all sleeping, you know, next to each other. There was plenty of people around, but yet I said nothing. And it was such a piece of shame to carry for me. And I didn't understand 
why that had happened. And when I first started my healing journey, I went to a somatic therapist and this was what I wanted to to kind of dive into. And what she got me to do, Kyra, which is what I would love you to break down for us, was understanding what had happened in that free state, that I literally was playing dead, that my body mm-hmm. had you know, seen the threat is too close. There is nothing we can do right now. This is the only way I know how to keep you safe is to do this. You know, this is, um, and when I was going through that process of healing, what happened was I had to go from that dorsal vagal freeze state, I had to move back down into my fight or flight state. So for me, that was really confusing because I thought, oh, I should just be able to go almost like, you know, go out of it completely. Like I'm just meant to be regulated again. I'm meant to be calm again. I'm meant to process it. I didn't understand. Someone actually described it to me as a ladder. So they described we had the sympathetic, so the regulated, calm, happy. And then we had the parasympathetic, which was the fight or flight at the next rung in the ladder. And then we had the dorsal vagal, which is the freeze at the next rung in the ladder. And they said to me, you can't get off the ladder and climb around to the bottom. You have to (laughs) go back down through that fight or flight. And so a huge amount of that healing was going back down into the fight or flight and turns out I had all of this fight energy of course thank god that I thought I didn't have I thought I was I told called myself an idiot I just said oh my god I just was so stupid I just gave up I you know why would I do that but turns out I did have all this energy of fight all this anger huge amounts of anger and it was my no and this was where I learned my favorite somatic exercise for anger and for the no which was bracing and pushing against a wall and Seth word no it was so strange at first I mean it was I was literally I was 20 I was 22 never done any of this work before but was I was literally starting to shut down and freeze during sex um, with my partner at the time who I loved and who was super safe and I was literally just starting to freeze and tears would just stream down my face and I lost all control and I was like oh my god something's going wrong here so I started doing this work but the exercise at first felt so weird. I remember, and we would have this Kyra before that, you know, your first somatic movement class, you were like, what the hell is this? You know, it's <laughs> so strange. And I couldn't understand that I had to climb back down the ladder, that I had to go back and access. It's almost like I bypassed that fight or flight and I stored it. I stored all that energy of anger, all those emotions. I stored them in my body because it wasn't safe for me to process them at the time. And so part of that healing was allowing myself to climb back down the ladder, so get out of the freeze, go back into that fight or flight, process all my anger using that somatic movement and those exercises, which eventually allowed me to come back down finally into that sympathetic state, into that regulated rest and digest state. Can you add or break that down for us further in terms of that I think you did amazing with the ladder that was so great um yeah I mean so if we were to break it down from moment to moment with that experience there would be like yeah there's there's social engagement you're regulated and then when the incident happens that you're exactly right your brain would say I can't fight back I can't get away for whatever reason we'll just freeze Mm. But the 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 animal body is still processing that fight or flight and that that somatic implicit memory is in the body. And even though your brain chose to freeze, there's still that unmobilized energy that wants to be experienced. And that's why pushing against the wall and saying no or imagining yourself for many of my clients, it can get quite like the visualizations we can have sometimes are like, I want to kill him. I want probably like that's what I wish would have happened. And when we can allow ourselves, our animal body to experience that, that rage, that anger, that no, and, and actually be with those visualizations, then we come back into that regulation because what didn't get to happen, what needed to happen gets to happen. And that's where we rewrite the experience. Mm-hmm. And we build that safety. Because I think that was the most important and the most pivotal thing for me was my own story around it. Because I thought, I'm an idiot. I'm so stupid. I've got no backbone. 
Um, did I, and I had all those thoughts, was I asking for it? Did I say something? Did I angle my body in a certain way that allowed him to think that that was okay? You know, was it my fault? And I felt so much shame. So being able to see that there was so much anger still there that I literally wanted to kill him. I wanted to strangle him. I wanted to hit him to see that that reaction was there. It was so healing for me to just know that I did have that reaction somewhere, but my body took over. It wasn't my fault. I didn't have control of that situation. My thinking brain was turned off because it was so scary and traumatic to the body. And I think this is where probably our big myth that we could kind of end on is that idea of trauma release. And this is huge at the moment. It's huge in the in the healing, spiritual, self-development world. There's, you know, so many big, you know, retreats and events that are all designed to teach you to release your own trauma or to go through a trauma release. Can you tell us what are the myths about this and how do you do trauma release safety, safely? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I, if I like the words trauma release because it's this idea that it's going to like, get out of your body or go somewhere but totally it's this idea that like you're a problem to be fixed and you know you get to take it it almost reminds me of the toxic positivity thing right because it's like oh there's this bad thing inside of me let me take it out and get rid of it forever and when we look from parts theory which I know you probably work in a bit as well the idea of you know there's a part of you that's traumatized but there's also no bad parts of you you know, yeah. like even the part of me that shut down and went into freeze and did that, that's not a bad part of me, right? No. And there's no way that I can't hate that part of me. That's going to cause me a, so much internal pain, shame and suffering. And so for me to go through that process of, oh, I didn't like that that happened, but I'm not going to hate it anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so with with trauma, we're not we're not releasing it. Rather, we're increasing our window of tolerance to be with the traumatic experience to orient towards more healing pleasure play grounded sensation and we're also rewriting the experience and so when we're doing trauma work we're we're looking at what again what needed to happen that didn't yeah. And so it's not that we're like shaking it out of our physical body. It's that we're changing our our neurological relationship to the traumatic event. So it's almost that, like we're doing the work both with the story. So if we use the example of the sexual assault, the story was it was my fault. I was an idiot. For me to heal from that and to mm-hmm. experience, you know, in quotation marks, a trauma release, the work that had to happen was me rewriting that story to say, actually, that was not okay and it wasn't yes. my fault, right? Yeah. And that was what helped me so much. But that involved me not judging myself and the ex- the experiences my body had and then almost matching the new story with a new experience in my body. So accessing the exactly. feelings of anger to match exactly. that new story, you know? Yeah. Yes, and the new story being no. No, you're being, here's my boundaries. Mm. And so then that creates a template then for new boundaries, for the ability to say no after that experience. So we're no longer looping in the trauma memory or the vortex of trauma. Rather, we're now creating a new template that I can say no. I can put up boundaries and I am safe. Mm. And this is what resolves the trauma and creates a new experience for us to move forward in, which changes like our daily life and our relationships in huge ways. Totally. And so what I'm hearing is that our myth is that a trauma release is a shake it out, you know, um, freaking go through some wild experience where you're yelling and screaming and crying and rah, you know, and you won't be fully exhausted. That That's not actually the trauma release. The trauma release is you accessing the the feelings and the emotions that you did have in those experiences but they were shut down they were overridden by your body's survival instincts by your nervous system like for me it was that freeze state my body overrided my anger and my no right so it's accessing that again almost 
accepting and forgiving the fact that your body did what it did, but that it wasn't your fault, but you still have access to these feelings that were overridden, but you need to process those feelings that were overridden. You need to feel them physiologically in the body and allow yourself to move through that state. So again, it's it's literally walking back down the ladder, isn't it? It's climbing back down the ladder, going out of freeze, back into fight or flight and, and feeling whatever you've got there to rewrite that new story, which is what allows you to come back down into that sympathetic state. So into that rest and digest state with a new story of it wasn't my fault. I am safe. I have boundaries, whatever story you need to roll with. And even the fact that you're safe and secure to connect with people again, right? Um, And that if we look back at our previous example of, you know, the relationships and being in conflict, And so often when we're in conflict, we're literally just talking to either a past partner or our parents um, (laughs) from our youth um, when that happens. So that's why it's so important for you to go and take space, for you to come back, climb back down the ladder so you can access that rational thinking brain so you can actually understand and go, I'm here now. I'm not reliving that experience I'm actually here now and I can make different decisions and choices because I've done that internal work to rewrite the story and my body is on board with that now. I've And that's what develops those neural pathways, isn't it? Is your body, your body's gone through that experience as well. It's like matching the body's story with your mind's story and having... Yeah, mm. exactly. And one mm. thing that I want too is that both the fight and the flight response are... are in somatic experiencing, we see them as very, very good. As soon as someone is showing indications of a fight or flight, we celebrate because that is our life force energy. That's vitality. And when we can learn that and actually realize that, it becomes satisfying to make contact with that and say that no, put up the boundaries, whatever it may be, it becomes something to celebrate. Mm, and that's so true because when I think about it again in the lens of the sexual assault I feel so much more strong in my boundaries and in my no now because I've been able like I feel like I can access for me I repressed anger and I repressed that fight instinct for a long time I went straight into flight and I went straight into anxiety that was my um, home away from home was whenever I was upset it was always anxious you know and So for me to realize that actually I have both and I can access both, I can access my fight, which is my anger, which is your no, aka your boundaries been crossed. That was really helpful for me. You know, it was really cool to understand. So I love that you're saying that going into fight or flight, it's not a bad thing. It's something to be freaking celebrated. And it's showing that you have a resilient nervous system and that your healing work to be done is teaching your body that you can go into fight or flight and you can come back down safely. So it's knowing and being connected to the cues that your body gives you. Like you said, you know, you get the sweat under the armpits or you feel the heat or you feel like my palms always get super sweaty if I'm anxious, you know, and recognizing what do I need to do in this moment to meet my needs, to help myself climb back down the ladder so that I can go into it with my full brain switched on, being able to communicate, being able to look somebody in the eyes, being able to advocate for myself, being able to set boundaries, that that's when that happens. But the fight or flight instincts, they're not the bad thing. No, definitely not. And this also makes me think of one example, just in case anyone's curious about flight. Mm. Um, We really named it clearly with fight. With flight, I love the example of you meet someone and you get icky feelings inside. There's a gut inside. Oh, stop it. The icky gut. Good. And you leave. That's a flight. That's a flight. I'm going to get away from here. I'm going to move away from this. That's amazing. Our intuitive bodies can do that to support us. And that's one final hard hitter of a question, which we might not be able to solve in this moment. <laughs> is fight or flight, no, it's probably not, but is fight or flight, where is it connected to your sense of intuition? Because when it comes to, you know, we call it the ick, but really it's a flight response, right? And it's a it's a feeling that something's not right here. And I've had that multiple times and I've had it both ways where one way, yes, it was my intuition picking up on something wasn't right here. Two, there's also then other ways where it's showing I'm, I'm being reminded of something in the past that I 
didn't like about someone and I'm trying to avoid it, you know? So there's kind of those two sides to the coin. But where do you think intuition plays in terms of fight or flight? Yeah. Well, I mean, in either example that you gave, I think the the innate body wisdom is guiding us in the right direction. Because if something's showing up, let's say from your past experience, and it's making you uncomfortable in the present, that might be resistance showing up because you're not ready to meet it in this situation or you're not ready to resolve it or dissolve whatever that was and so it might be the body saying like hey this reminds me of something uncomfortable and I'm not in a place to face it or deal with it and that's also okay Mm. and so to answer your question more specifically our our bodies are so intuitive and intelligent and picking up on so many things beyond what we say and what we can see that when we get that response of like hey I notice I'm like angry or I want to move towards something and fight or I want to move away from it that's our bodies communicating like at a such a deep level that goes back to our development and and even farther like our (laughs) our ancestral knowledge and so when we get those those pains, those those feelings, I think it's important to really honor them and check in and then see what needs to happen next. Like, what do I need to do next to honor this inner knowing and this body sensation and having the ability to, to be receptive in that and be living in reciprocity with our inner knowing and our, our body wisdom. God, I love that. I love that how you framed that that it's such actually a positive thing that our body has these reactions and these instincts and there's so much to be learned from it. Whether it is based on a past trigger, which obviously then it becomes an invitation for you to acknowledge and deal and heal that, or whether it is your intuition saying, actually, something is not right here. Like, or, hey, you need to say no to this. You need to set a boundary. Or actually, you need to take some space from this, you know? Mm. I love that that's how you frame it because I think there is a lot of, BS around the fight or flight and for me like I said fell into it for the probably the first 18 months of my healing journey I just tried to keep myself cool calm and regulated everything was about saying hashtag positive and practicing (laughs) gratitude and all this stuff which we love that stuff it's amazing but it it didn't allow me to encompass my entirety of the human experience and it kept me stuck in essentially avoidance of a lot of the trauma that I had personally experienced and that was living in my body and all of the repressed emotions that had been stuck in my body for years, you know, which was what was manifesting a lot of those symptoms because I was ready to work through and process. I had the capacity to start dealing with some of these experiences. Like for me, I can only speak from my experience, but when I was experiencing, it was a few years after the sexual assault when I was having getting intimate with my partner at the time who was a long-term partner felt super safe and my body randomly just started going into these freeze states while we were having sex and I literally froze up tears would stream down my face nothing was wrong nothing bad had happened and I couldn't understand why it was happening and I look back now and I go oh that was my body actually bringing it up again for me to process because I hadn't before I wasn't safe enough to I finally had capacity to deal with it. And this is this word capacity. It's probably my favorite word ever. I think so many of us get really challenged when big emotions come up, when we get triggered consistently and we go through hard patches in life. Like for me, this whole whole last year has been so hard in terms of my own emotions and what's happening. The reason for it though is because I am now at a stage where I have capacity to process a lot of this stuff. So... I think that's why I've loved our conversation today has been really busting that myth of fight, fight and freeze are not bad or evil. You know, a trauma release isn't just bloody stomping it out and having this big rage release. There's so much more that goes into it and so much more that you need to create safety around. But they're actually these processes that our body innately gives us are a really positive and important experience for each of us to get connected to so that we can carry these tools into the rest of our lives and understand what our body's trying to communicate to us. Mm-hmm. I love this. This was the freaking most fantastic conversation. Kyra, yes. thank you so much for 
sharing so you shared so much like wisdom in terms of taking the descriptions of words and things I love that we were able to just break everything down because it is a bloody confusion even me like I'm in this world and I'm still like what the heck does that mean you know like it's still confusing you know so for you to be able to break down that language for us and for us to talk about so many examples and the personal examples you shared about anger and your responses I really like thank you so much for that because I know for people listening that they are going oh hell yes I understand now I get it and I feel like I, I personally walked away with so much more understanding and so many more tools and, and that real reiteration of you've got to climb down the ladder. You've got to fight flight experience. You've got to come back down and you've got to go through the experiences before you start to come back and, you know, conflict resolution, communication, setting boundaries, all those sorts of things. So thank you so much for being here, Kyra. Where can people find you, follow you, work with you? What's what's coming up in your world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. So in terms of social media, um, Instagram is a good place. You know, embodied underscore woman underscore and my email, which is being with you somatically at gmail.com. Beautiful. And then I have a lot of free resources. I have a we love a free resource. Tell us about it. <laughs> it's a, a free three-day somatic journey. So it goes through movement tools and some journal integration prompts. So three days in a row, you can spread it out. And then I do um, one-on-one somatic trauma resolution, which integrates somatic experiencing with inner relationship focusing and parts work. So looking at the different parts within us, their agendas, how they can support one another, hinder one another. Yeah. So one-on-one work. And then here in Canada, Alberta, Calgary, in-person retreats as well, which are all really beautiful and focused on somatic healing. I love that. And I can tell that they are not one of those retreats where you'll walk away feeling absolutely overwhelmed. They will be fully facilitated. And I love that you I love that we we really chatted and described so well about how important, you know, yes, the anger release or the emotion release, that's important, but what's actually going to facilitate your healing is that down-regulation time, is that calming, that soothing, that getting back to rest and digest, that comforting, that's actually so important. And yeah, I'm like... Of course it is. Of course it is. We're all going to walk away with that. Mm-hmm. Now, I will link um, all of Kyra's details that she's mentioned, especially the free resources, because we love a place to dive in and experience it so they can get to know you more. I'll link that all in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here, Kyra. Is there anything that you want to say before we finish up the session? It was lovely to talk with you. Uh, yeah, just grateful to share more and talk about somatics and nervous system. It's favorite area. I'm just game. It's game-changing, isn't it? Wowee, what another incredible episode. Re-listening to that, my brain is like, whoa, there is so much information there. And I know that you've walked away with such a deep understanding. I would love to hear what you thought of this episode and what you're taking away. Please reach out to me on social media. I'm at Kathleen.MindsetCoach. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and make sure you sign up so that you can get notified of all the amazing episodes to be released. Reminders are we are on the new posting schedule releasing every Monday morning super duper early so that you can start your week off the right way thanks so much for listening again I love that we've got you here for your time have the most beautiful day ahead and remember that you are enough you're doing enough and you are doing so well on this journey